what was the reason why you put Solo as your least favorite of the Star Wars movies? Because it's more of a movie about Han Solo's accessories than Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the Millennium Falcon gets more screen time the, than Han Solo. Like does. the whole act was the whole like third act of the movie was like character development for the Millennium Falcon. Welcome to Death Watch, a serial watchcast about Disney's Star Wars: The Mandalorian. I'm Mike Bennett, and I'm Chris Skull. And today we'll be talking about season one, episode seven, entitled Chapter Seven, The Reckoning. And today we're joined by a friend of the show and fellow Star Wars fan and all around nerd, Ryan Andrew from Honorary Android. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Uh, Thanks for having me. I really enjoy listening to your podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, Ryan. So it seems like we got a new game going uh, with our new guest hosts. So we have them rate. Uh, their favorite Star Wars movies. So why don't you give us like your top three and then maybe like your least favorite one. All right. So your last guest said he had controversial opinions on Star Wars. And I think mine are a little bit more. Uh, my favorite is Empire, obviously, yep. because men of a certain age. Yeah. Men of a certain <laughs> age. <laughs> okay. And then I, I love Last Jedi and I know everybody hates it, but oh, it's so good. Right. Well, it was nice having you on the show, Ryan. We'll, yeah, we'll, that's bye. it. That's it for Ryan. <laughs> thanks Thanks for coming on, man. We'll see you later. <laughs> and uh, then Rogue One. Okay. And my least favorite is Solo. I, I would, mm. no, I mean, I liked Solo. I, I would definitely put Rogue One over Solo and for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. We are definitely going to have to agree to disagree on, that's on The Last fine. Jedi. That's fine. We all but, disagree on The Last Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have solo somewhere in the middle as well. I think it's I like you, it's it's realisticness. But what was the reason why you put Solo as your least favorite of the Star Wars movies? Because it's more of a movie about Han Solo's accessories than Han Solo. <laughs> I think I think the Millennium Falcon gets more screen time the, than Han Solo. Like does. the whole act was the whole like third act of the movie was like character development for the Millennium Falcon. I was like, <laughs> like, where are the other characters? So I mean, like, if, mo- you, if you think about it, it is the most important <laughs> it, character it, it, in the Star true, Wars It's true, it really is. It's the best character of the franchise, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, where else are you going to see a closet full of capes? <laughs> <laughs> that was I there. bet, like, I I bet Han still kept the capes. Yeah. It's not that I, I don't hate it. Like, I do like it, but it's just like, that wasn't what I was expecting. I was just expecting a movie with Han Solo. Totally. Not, this is how he got his last name. This is how he got his gun. Yeah. Also, that's, a, that's an entire episode on it on itself. Like, so is there, apparently there's Spanish in the Star Wars universe. Solo confirmed that. I like that. So moving right along. This episode, the teleplay was written by John Favreau again, and the episode's directed by Deborah Chow. You'll remember we saw both of them teaming up on episode three earlier in the series. We've talked about Deborah and John before, and the two episodes that Deborah's directed, uh, especially this one, I, I really like because it conveys a lot of emotion and activity and like these short, uh, tightly shot scenes, like in a bar, in the homestead, in the crest, around a campfire, in the hideout. And sometimes when you're watching a movie or a show, a scene can appear really unrealistic when everyone's in close quarters and there's a lot of activity going around. But in a way, these scenes were shot. There was a lot of fat trimmed. It moves the story along very smoothly without having our hands held. And we walk away with a handful of motions that we may not have come with when the story started. So if this is pretty typical for Deborah Chow's work and your team, then I have really high hopes for the Kenobi series and any future work that we may see from her. Absolutely. 
So a quick episode recap from last week. Uh, Mando called up an old buddy from the old days to join a heist to pick up some cash. They, uh, they're going to pick up a, a prisoner, which we find out is an old friend who maybe was left by Mando to become a prisoner. Um, Mando gets um, turned on. Then he kind of hunts them all down, traps them in prison, and kind of leaves them there. Mando saves the child, gets paid, and burns a bridge. And I think maybe the longest standing contribution from this episode is said by Quinn kind of near the end where he he turns to Mando when he's uh, trying to track him down. He says, isn't that your code? Aren't you a man of honor? And it's kind of just this like constant tension of Mando to, to do what his code says and what he feels is right. Right. Um, so let's dive into the episode. So we open with the cold open. We are in space again on the Razor Crest. Um, Mando's kind of pushing some buttons, cruising along. Then there's an incoming transmission and uh, Op Pups, a hologram of Grief Karga. And as soon as he starts to talk, Mando like whips his head around. Because if you'll remember, the last time we saw Grief Karga, he got shot in the chest and blasted out of the back of the Razor Crest. And that's all Mando saw. We, as the, as the audience, saw him sort of moving around and pull out his spare bar of Beskar. So we know he made it. But Mando is now discovering that, uh, that he's still alive. And uh, he says, uh, you'll find out I'm still alive, so let's call it even. Yeah, I like and, how he get, guilt trips him into the situation. Like, by the way, you shot me, you know, and I was shooting you. So let's just call it even. Sure. He uh, he updates Mando on the situation at Navarro. Um, Imperial forces have all moved in since the shootout from the Mandalorian clan. And uh, he offers... Mando, one last job, which is to take out the client who has been causing so much trouble on his planet. Um, to remind you, the client played by Werner Herzog and uh, the the group that was initially trying to track down the child. Uh, it's an offer he can't refuse. You know, in his mind, he's thinking, I've been getting hunted down by these extra bounty hunters who are coming after me, and they're all being paid by this guy. And as long as he's alive, they're going to be coming after me. That's such a good, uh, like Western and like Asian movie trope of like one job and then you're done for the rest of your life. I only have to yeah. do this one <laughs> there's, thing. There's always the one job. Yeah, it is a great, it's a great little homage. The, to reel him in, he, uh, there's also another recurring theme of, of people talking about his code, his sense of honor. He says a man of honor should not be forced in exile like you know you, you could keep doing this or you can do one this one little thing and then we can call it even totally and uh you know creep garga has a he's a, he's a very eloquent speaker we know he's the like ad administrator of the town i think or of, mm -hmm. I, I can't quite tell he has some sort of um official kind of governmental role not just the the director of the bounty guild um, I think X. I think he's X official. I think they talk about X it in official? the next episode. Oh, yeah, okay. I think he was like an ex oh, yeah. mayor or governor. That's right. Or something Disgraced like that. magistrate is what um, mm -hmm. we we find out later in the series. Yeah. Which is um, why he's so eloquent and he has a way with words and, and with people. He's, he's a politician who probably had to run for 
I don't know if democracy exists out here on Navarro, but run for election in his town or whatever. So if there's a bounty guild and an enclave of Mandalorians, I, I highly doubt democracy is, is a thing on Navarro. <laughs> but, you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, so Mando punches in some uh, punches in some information on Google Maps and uh, it takes <laughs> off. Space and uh, we find out he's he goes to Sorgan, which is a cool little callback. We know who's on Sorgan, and uh, he's obviously come to visit Cara Dune. And uh, the opening shot of her is her like wrestling, body slamming this uh, Zabrak guy. He's played by stuntman Dave Reeves, but it's a really I've never we haven't seen this type of combat game before. Uh, so they're like t- tethered to each other with uh, like like they look like the um, power like, couplings like a, from yeah, like an electro rope. Yeah, from like the pod racing power couplings yeah. that hold the two engines together. Um, so they can't get too far away. And it's just an interesting like wrestling match. And <laughs> she's just like going to town on this guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, they're they're no longer serving uh, bone broth soup at the <laughs> cantina. It seems like they're only serving knuckle sandwiches. <laughs> Ooh, I like Good. that. Knuckle sandwiches. <laughs> Thank you. I tried. It's yeah, some- she's uh, I like that she's landing her punches. And uh, but she's doing it with a smile on her face the whole time. Like her character is like she hasn't seen this kind of, I guess, this kind of action, this kind of fight in a while. So despite her um, shorter stance or her height compared to the the much bigger Zabrak, she she's able to like throw the guy off balance, land a few punches, and then takes said coupling, which is apparently just like rope but made out of electricity or something. And like uses it to you know to choke the guy out and yeah I like how their literal tap out is <laughs> press the, the button or whatever that they have on them like literally tap out and then it turns it off and then boom that says she wants uh, so we get a couple of uh, conversations here she says the word um, let's see so she wins I mean and, and it's interesting too this is a quick like little look like remind you that she is a very formidable fighter like she's because she's just mm-hmm. doing this easily and having fun at the same time um and she's collecting her her payment she says the word mud scuffers which i think is a, a <laughs> I'm funny word. so many new words in the show mud scuffers yeah that's good um and so mando pitches her a job for her he's like look i'm gonna go back and take out this guy i need some muscle because i know i'm i'm going into a situation that i can't do alone She's not interested initially. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like sounds like it's pretty straightforward, but she's not really wanting to do it. And then, uh, I mean, he was kind of rude when he came in. He didn't even say hello. He's just like, "I got a job for you," and and, and her face is like, "Bro, really? <laughs> like you're not even a hello? Come on, man." <laughs> yeah, like hello, hi. Um, and Mando like knows the one big button that she has, which is her hatred of the Empire. <laughs> and uh, so he's just like, "This guy's former Imperial," and, and like without a second thought, she's just like. All right, I'm in. Yeah. I like how easy that was. Yeah. Uh, there was a detail that I n- didn't notice before the last time we saw her. She actually has, I thought it was a birthmark, but under her left eye, she has a tiny insignia of the Rebel logo tattooed, like just above, like between her cheek and her left eye. That's one of those things that I noticed that and it'll come up later in the episode where they talk about her other tattoo. And I'm like, the one on her face isn't the problem. <laughs> like clearly like, it's just like bars, bars on her arm are... versus the one that's literal faction that she belonged like, to like, the bars are like so much worse like are they kill counts like i really hope they explain that a little bit more 
Yeah, I can just imagine like a Mike Tyson full <laughs> face tattoo of the Rebel logo. Uh, it's like Sabine's icon. That'd be pretty cool. Um, like, were you in the Rebel? Were you, were you a Rebel Rebel fighter? No, like no. How, how would you, you know? How'd you guess? Why would you? Why would you? Have just a big just a <laughs> birthmark. Yeah. Then we um, we go back to the Razor Crest. They're in space, and the sole purpose of this scene is to let us know we need one more person on this crew (laughs) Kara and Mando are down in the hold hanging out and they start hitting turbulence and the ship is rocking all (laughs) apart they run up to the cockpit and the child's just like punching a bunch of the buttons again um, playing Microsoft Flight Simulator Microsoft Space Flight Simulator (laughs) Space Flight Simulator I love it Um, and uh, he's they're just like we're gonna have to get a babysitter for him yes do you think that any of that with him like he with the forest can sense that they're going to head to danger. And he's like, Nope, get out of here. We're going to fly somewhere. I mean, that's a great point. That's a great point. But I also like to think that it's still just, you know, he may be 50 years old, but he still acts like a baby and just really wants to just like mess things up. I'm like, Oh, I wonder what this button does. And (laughs) just starts shaking around the control stick. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thinking he's pretty unaware of what the force is, you know, kind of like when we meet, young Anakin and in Phantom Menace Qui-Gon's kind of like have you been able to do things that other people can't and he's like yeah and I kind of I never knew why I wonder what that was about so I bet the baby senses that he can do things but um doesn't know what it even means or or why he's doing it more more instinctual but he definitely has like a childlike sense of play to him yeah so we uh, get another flyover of uh, not Tatooine, which is Arvala Seven. <laughs> yeah, and um, we we know that we are back to the homestead of the man who helped us before. We still don't have his name, uh, you know, in the show. We we know his name is Queel from credits and subtitles, but um, <laughs> we're back at Queel's homestead. Yeah, I think. Um... There's a there's a scene like there's no dialogue when he lands and then the two of them come out with the child and they meet Quill at the entrance to his um, to his little shelter. In the after credits, there's some concept art where both mm. the Ma- where Mando and Quill do some sort of like bow and salute to each other. So they had like a different workout mm. um, uh, or a different idea when they were going to shoot this scene. But I feel like because of their relationship, it the way that it was shot and final was a lot better. It was more like. Yeah, I knew you would come. And then he just sort of like walks in and then he's like being a mildly a cantankerous kind of dude. Yeah. Um, well, what what is he? He says something like, um, like he says, I'm in trouble or I need your help. And he's he's like, like, yeah, I know. Of, Otherwise, why, why, why would you have come back to me? Yeah, of course you need my help. <laughs> um, I like how Quill, when he, when he sees the child, he's basically like everybody's grandparent after he hasn't seen the kid in a long time. He's like, it hasn't grown much. Have you been feeding it? You haven't been feeding it. Why is he so skinny? Terrible parents. Yeah, that's. He is a classic character in that in that way. Um, he he uh, so they start talking about who because this is the first time he's met the child, right? No, he did meet him, but he was like passed out the whole time yeah. from lifting the horn, so he, he gets to interact with him a little bit at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to figure out a little bit of who he might be um you know they say he's a the mando thinks he might be a strand cast which we've learned as a term for like an outcast clone um 
I think it's just clo- cloning. Just cloning? Like, yeah. Okay. Like cast like you would with metal, strand probably with DNA. Mm. Uh, so I think strand cast is just slang for, for cloning. Interesting. E- even though cloning, I mean, literal the clone wars happen. So I don't know why they just can't use that that <laughs> word, but. Well, I mean, I guess it could be like a like a bad clone, like the 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 bad batch in Clone Wars. They okay. weren't perfect clones, possibly. Yeah, that's possible because then they start talking about the visuals of the cloning. Like Quill says that he's worked in gene farms, which is which I would imagine is kind of like what happened in um, not Geonosis, um, Camino, where where they actually cloning facilities happen for Camino soldiers. Camino, thank you. So. Uh, he worked at something called the, the Gene Farms, uh, but he says it's too ugly. Like it looks, it looks too natural for it to have been an actual clone. Yeah, and then uh, and then he quips about Kara being uh, a more <laughs> likely actual clone because she's this like like huge, apparent like obviously intense fighter. It's like uh, mm-hmm. she's obviously she's she was farmed. I forget where he said, but it obviously from the the caves of something. I yeah, I, I tried looking it up. I don't think that's a new that's a new location. I don't think there's any info on that place. I okay. I, I like how this is his attempt. I think at like give, like complimenting her. I don't think it was like flirting with her. Sure, uh, but like this is a weird way of saying, "Hey, you're so good looking. You look like you were cloned in a gene farm." <laughs> mm. Yeah, thanks. Still I got think. game. Yeah, and then in walks. Uh, one of my favorite characters, IG-11, who the last we saw him, Mando blasted him through the head and he fell into a heaping hulk of, of metal when he was getting the child from the first episode. Um, and now he's back with uh, some tea for everyone. And Mando immediately like jumps up, flips out, because um, he's the last time he saw him, you know, he was there to kill the child and mm-hmm. they were fighting with him. So... And then uh, Quill starts to calm them down immediately. He's like, "He's not here to hurt you. I've I've reprogrammed him." Uh, which this is the first time we've ever really like witnessed any kind of like droid reconstruction or mm-hmm. like the droids are like tossed aside, blown up all the time without care. It's kind of like you know. I, I can't even think. It's like your, you know, iPhone charger cable. You just like you, you're gonna repair, you're gonna you buy a bunch of them. It's exactly. It's gonna break. Don't worry about fixing it. Just get a new one. And uh, and he, he we cool, we get this really cool like um, whole sequence of how he brought him back. He like claimed him in terms of like this is he found this garbage. He he claimed him with these. There's like. International. The verbiage that he uses is interesting. He it, it seems to me that Quill like not so much with people, but with other things, including the the blurgs. He has more empathy for them. He says it was devoid of all life. Like, why would you say that, or why would you show empathy for a non organic? You know, even if it did have a little bit of sentience, why would you say it was devoid of all life? That's a good point. So we have. Um... Uh, so he, he says something too about like sort of international intergalactic finders keepers laws. Yeah, about- he called it the ch- the charter of the new republic. So you find it, it's it's yours. No no take backsies. 
Yeah. Probably how the Jawas get away with taking everything. Well, it was just here. Yeah. We, we can take the ship apart. It's just here. <laughs> That's a good point. The Jawas go, are upstanding go get, uh, law followers. Law just, go citizens. get me an yeah, egg. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you can have your ship back. One egg. One egg is all it costs. Um, he brings them back. He's like kind of reconstructing his, um, you know, his inner matrices, his personality mm-hmm. matrix, mm-hmm. Um, teaching him how to like, I mean, this is, so interesting to watch him like learn to walk and like learn it's like physical therapy rehabilitation um which is interesting too because i feel like all of these emotions have seemed like droids are just programmed from day one they come off the Mm -hmm. line here's your programming and you just you just go and do it the way like a machine would but the fact that these you know tasks and functions and movements are all learned I, i wonder if this is normal like if all droids go through this like learning education process or if this is because of the manner in which quill has like reconstructed this uh droid if it's like this i don't know yeah i feel like it's um uh no i don't want to say a callback but it's kind of like machine learning in today's even with today's technology machine learning takes time and many many hours of processes Mm -hmm. and i'm not an expert in this so any of our listeners who happen to be uh, specialists in machine learning and, and, and AI, maybe you can correct me on this. Um, but like, just like you, like to your point, just because it was programmed to do so, it still needs to develop that personality matrix and, and to be taught to know what to do and what not to do. And that's sort of that, that montage, this flashback that we're looking at right now is exactly that, where he goes from dropping the boxes on the lizards to not dropping the boxes on the lizards and in that moment when he not dropped the box on the lizard quills like you are ready you are now yeah. ready to serve my tea yep and i you know i love the continued look at like how regal of a person quill is even like in the way he talked about he he, he uses such like old english language like from our mm-hmm. perspective that's not modern english in terms like he used the word flotsam when he was I love talking that about word. Which I is love like that word so much. Yeah, it, we have a lot more modern terms for like finding basically junk or you know whatever. Um, but to use that is just kind of an interesting uh, personality quirk for him. If this episode has taught me anything, it's a lot new, a lot of new vocabulary words. So mm-hmm. between quill and grief carga. Yeah. So we're back to the present. IG-11 is pouring some tea. He's not a hunter. He's a, he's a nurse droid. And, um, and yeah. And uh, you found this little like bit, the like kind of pulling back the curtain of the filming mm-hmm. or production. Yeah. When, the, yeah. That face off, you know, with the, with the cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. There's like that face off between, um, IG 11 and Mando. Like they're looking at each other, like Mando's looking at him. IG's looking at him. Mando's looking at him again. And then finally he like breaks the silence and he goes, tea. And then Kara takes the cup. It's a split second, but you're meant to think IG 11 is handing her the cup. She takes the cup and then that's it. Apparently the way that the film was seen because IG 11 was never there because he doesn't exist. She has the cup already in her hand. The when the scene starts, she's stretching her hand out with the cup of tea already in her hand, and then she pulls it back. Mm. So it's like a first split second, but you can um, you can catch it if you rewatch the episode. Nice, nice catch. So then uh, Mando 
explains why he's here. He would like Quill to come with them on this mission to protect the child. And um, he says he will, but he's going to need to bring the droid with him. Mm -hmm. And Mando, of course, objects. So, yeah, he says that um, he can't be the one to protect the the child. He says he can reprogram the, the droid. Uh, and Mando, of course, he objects because that's that's part of him, his MO. But he says something, Quill says something interesting to Mando's objection. He says that they're basically neutral reflections of those that that imprint on them. Mm. And, you know, Mando's like, you know, obviously I've seen otherwise, you know, uh, because we'll get, we've seen flash, his own flashbacks of droids attacking his home and killing his parents. But I mean, the droids were were imprinted by people who were told them to attack. So, I mean, the, whoever had imprinted C-3PO, for instance, told him to work for more um, honorable purposes. And mm-hmm. then we see that personality in all in all nine all nine movies. Sure. No, that's a good point. And uh, you know, no one better to imprint on a droid's personality than Quill. Than the then yeah, exactly. So he accepts the commission with his classic I have spoken line, which is great. So we're back it. on the end, crest again. End of conversation. End of conversation. Um and uh so we're back on the crest again, um, heading off to Navarro. At Mando and and Kara are arm wrestling down in the lower hold, and they're all kind of hanging out down there, and uh, they're kind of struggling with whatever. They're they're continuing to arm wrestle. The child looks on, and he starts to look kind of concerned for Mando that he's being like hurt by Kara, and reaches out his hand and starts to force choke her, mm. which is like insane. So up until this point, his use of the force has been. Um, you know, for looking at this as a from a video game perspective, has been shaded toward the light side of the force, mm-hmm. um, like lifting objects or healing. Uh, later, I guess we'll see. That's way to throw in that Kotor reference. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, so everything has been kind of like um, even moving like his super speed on uh, in the last episode in the Gunslinger. Um, the the use of the force hasn't really been evil, so to speak. Uh, but here we see him force choking her, which we've only mm-hmm. seen done by Darth Vader. Darth Vader. Has anyone else mm-hmm. force choked anybody on, on screen? I think Anakin did on a clone wars one. That's true. Yeah. Which I guess uh, not, not very much distinction between Anakin yeah. and Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Anakin is Darth Vader. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I had no, n- yeah. Nick, next you're going to tell me that, that Darth Vader is Luke's father. Come on, man. That's totally, totally implausible. Yeah, so it's interesting just to see him force choke. Uh, Mando realizes what's happening, jumps over and kind of breaks his concentration, and uh, and she lets uh, he lets go of her. She's like, "Dude, that is not cool." Uh, which is <laughs> that's like the most uh, restrained response you could have to someone <laughs> force choking you. It's like, "Whoa, not cool. You almost killed me." <laughs> no big yeah. deal. And. Um, then there's we lead into this conversation about like Kara and Quill are getting to know each other. It starts off by saying like Quill is now putting two pieces of information together about the story about the Mudhorn and how he like stopped him in his tracks and raised him. And now we see the child can force choke Kara from a distance, and he's realizing that you know this is he's saying I've heard rumors of the Force. And this is what this sounds he like. He doesn't actually call it outright the force. He just says, he just says, I heard rumors of it. That's right. He doesn't know. They don't, 
they don't identify it as the force. Yeah. And it's, again, it's another like a little look into what the galaxy is like that even though Jedi were present and sort of everywhere for a period of time, it still wasn't mm-hmm. like known by everyone. Uh, even though every movie we've ever seen, we're, we're following the Jedi, but it's like we're following the 0.01% of the galaxy and not everyone really mm-hmm. knows who they are, what they do. So uh, even Quill, who's heard of them, doesn't really know much about them. And even he said, like, to put a finer point on it, Carr says, like, you know what this is? And he's like, what it is, I don't know. But what it does, I do. So you know, clearly little information. And then um, Kara's saying that they, they move into this conversation where she says she was working for the Rebellion and eventually the Republic and wondering, she asked Quill if he was involved in the conflict. And, uh, and he says that he was, but for the other side, which, you know, kind of triggers her. She questions who he is as a person and why he was with their side. And he says, look, I've worked for more than three of your lifetimes to earn my own, um, you know, independence to pay off my clan's debt, which, you know, is, is cool. But then I wonder like, who is his debt to? Cause I think initially we thought mm-hmm. he was like, captured by the empire and was working for them specifically to pay off this debt. But, you know, the empire was only around for 20, maybe 30 years. And if he worked for three of her lifetimes, you know, we're thinking 150 years at least. Could it be one of those things like, um, like how you were saying in a, in a previous episode, how it's like all Trandoshans or bounty hunters and mercenaries, Argonauts could all mm -hmm. be indentured servants and work for Mm -hmm. whoever till, some arbitrary debt is paid so they can get their freedom. Oh, interesting. In during the during the I mean I would agree with that. During the empire uh post empire um well when it had started all wookies were enslaved. Um they were all it was like I think it was said that it was on the backs of wookies that the death star was sure. built or, or something something along those lines so they were used only for like heavy manual uh manual labor. Yeah. Um he could also, it could also be hyperbole. Yeah, it, we don't could we be. don't know. Maybe he doesn't have really high hopes for for a drop shooter to 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 live past thirty. That's, that's a good point too. So he's like, <laughs> I don't know. But I do I do agree with that point. Like the empire technically wasn't around for a really long time. So either he was in indentured servitude, as he called it. So he was either enslaved um, by someone else, and then that got absorbed by the empire, or it was to just some independent third party thing. Yep. Um, so. I like actually I like Ryan's idea that maybe the like the culture of the Ugnat people is that they earned their freedom over time. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, and then she kind of leads into where she, you know, was deployed. They ask if she was ever deployed on Navarro, and she kind of tells you what mm-hmm. Navarro's experience was like in the uh, in the rebellion in the war. She's like, I was not on Navarro, but. It was it basically it's like it was a bloodbath because, you know, we've seen the planet itself. There's not it's like a very flat, wide open. There's no cover. It's just these large molten lava fields. So as soon as, you know, troopers were dropping, they were just getting picked off left and right. And uh, you know, not a great place to be deployed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she uh, I think um, grief mentions that. Uh, or was it was a Mando that mentions that the client was an imperial officer? Yeah, I think it was Mando. He says that he was an imperial officer, so he was somewhat high ranking if he was still around to have that kind of power and reputation. And because of that, you know, 
of failure or loss on the rebel side. Uh, now then it became some sort of em- imperial outpost mm. until it empire fell and then just whoever is there left like the client uh, they stayed as imperial uh, loyalists I think is what mm. they were called. Yeah. So uh, we get a little shot of IG-11 bringing by a uh, second meal sounds I like he he comes in with his hands clasped like he's programmed to be polite it's like I have prepared second meal would either of you enjoy it yeah he's like the butler of the ship <laughs> yeah I, I totally want ex-assassin robot butler serving me second yeah. meal. yeah I love how like the term second meal I mean a it sort of sounds like second breakfast from Lord of the Rings it you know what's funny is I, I I'm reading reference. the notes and Chris wrote that this is from yeah, he says, yeah, whatever. You, you guys know if you listen to the show, Chris doesn't listen to, to Lord of the Rings. You only know it from a, a meme, I'm sure. You've never, yeah. Yes. So whatever. Pretty much. Hobbits, like there's hobbits. Read the books, not the memes. Come on. <laughs> Got it. That That's going to have to go on. Ryan, are you um, a Lord of the Rings person? I, I like the movies. I don't like Tolkien's writing. Mm, that's unfortunate to hear. Sorry. Second, second second time in the show we're going to have to exit you from. <laughs> I I've I've known I've known Mike long enough to know that what he means by that is <laughs> and he wants you to go go away. Yeah. I've read one of them okay. at least. As long as it's not the Hobbit, right? No, I read uh, okay. the Ring. Um well, we'll move on there cuz obviously we have no overlap with the two of you on Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Sorry, not sorry. We, um, Mando makes it clear that he does not want the droid to leave the ship, sensing he's, you know, he's going to sabotage them or something like that. He's just not interested in having IG 11 around when important things are happening. And, uh, he says a little bit of like kind of foreshadowing here. To, they wanted their goal here is to take out the head imp. And even I think Kara says something like, uh, you take out that guy and all the rest of them will scatter. It doesn't matter. How many people are here? They're only here because the head guy is telling them what to do. Yeah, that's clear foreshadowing, yeah. in my yeah. opinion. Obviously, nothing ever goes nothing ever goes the way people yep. plan. So they land out in the middle of nowhere, um, and which is sort of saying something because Navarro itself is kind of it's nowhere in the middle of nowhere, yeah. <laughs> out on the lava fields. Grief is kind of standing out there with three guild members behind him. They walk off the ship on blurks, which is kind of cool. They're just like riding them off the ship. And uh, so the three of them are up up on their rides and the, the bounty hunters are standing on the ground. There's a little bit of a like um, tense conversation, we'll say, um, between, well, Mando and Grief, because the last time they saw each other, yeah. they shot at each other. Um, but then it's also not quite what, Grief was expecting. He thought Mando would show up kind of on his own. And they realize that they've both don't trust each other and they've come with muscle to uh to back them up. Yeah, they look like they're about to have the most intense three on three basketball game ever, where it's just like they're each standing on, on the respective sides of the courts and they're just staring each other yeah. down. So um they he's like there's some some introductions are obviously in order because I don't know who's with you. Uh, he introduces both of them and then, um, you know, grief starts to, um, sorry guys, Chris, you jump in here. Cause I don't, I'm not following your notes. Well, yeah, 
Yeah, sorry, man. Uh, no, he starts he starts talk, talking about um, the sort of mess that they they got themselves in, like the situation that after they mm-hmm. left, he's like, you got everyone everyone hackled up or, or something like that. I love Grief's vocabulary, especially in this episode. I feel like that we need to have if every time we're going to see grief again, we need to have a segment on the show where we explain his vocabulary. We just come hackles, Ooh, yeah. hackles are the hairs or feathers of the neck and back, which become erect when the animal is fearful or agitated. Yeah, Chris, Chris is trying out for his next role as the script spelling bee <laughs> announcer. Can, can, yeah, can you give us the nation of origin? Use, yeah, use hackles in a sentence. So they um, so they decide to move on with their plan. They're going to make their way back towards the city and across the lava fields, uh, understanding that they're not going to make it all the way back to the city. So they kind of make camp for the night. Uh, somehow they're able to make fire. But no trees for oxygen. Um, for I don't the think there's design. a short supply of fire sources on a planet that's literally <laughs> nothing but fire. Yeah. Yes. It begins... It, that's the great thing about that's the great thing about lava. It's already briquette form for you. That's there's no wood from the trees to burn, and there's no trees for the it. oxygen to be there. Um, Space physics, guys, just go with it. Yeah, <laughs> a wizard did it. This is, in a galaxy full of space wizards, somehow we can't explain basic science. Yeah, okay. so they they start to go over the plan. Uh, what does he say there? Highfalutin menagerie. I, <clears throat> Ifalutin menagerie means pretentious or fancy <laughs> and a collection of wild or foreign animals kept especially for exhibition. And how did, I forget how he used that line. He, um, he was trying to, they were, try, they were sort of commiserating on why the client wanted the child in the mm-hmm. first place. So he, he's, he kind of ra- reasons with himself because initially like in the first episode, like he either wants to eat it or put its head on a mount or something mm. like that. So now he's thinking he probably wants it for some, you know, to show off to his wealthy friends or, or, or something like that, which we kind of saw in sort of gross excess, like in the solo movie um, with Dryden Foss and his sort of, you know, his little bash on his yeah. ship. So there's, there's definitely elites in the universe, like in the Canto bite scene also, which I don't, like to talk about <laughs> i was gonna say i know another scene with lots of rich people <laughs> it's from ryan's favorite movie <laughs> so what do you like about the canto bite scene ryan um i do i do like that it shows a side of the universe we've never seen before it's always dark like hives of scum and villainy and here's a hive of scum and villainy with people in really nice suits gambling and just in a different just in a different you know form. like yeah they're all contributing to like both sides of the war. You know, they're rich and selling arms. And I will say this one point before we move on. I think that scene was important. I hate with every fiber of my being that it was just left at that and never brought up ever again. Well, we do hear from it again. And that's uh, actually in the last episode of, of the Mandalorian because uh, um, what's his name? Bill Burr flings it at him as an insult. He's like, he looks worse in a Canto Bite slot machine. Yes. So it was, it did serve a purpose. It gave Bill Burr one great zinger. So, so grief is again going over the plan as they're sitting around the fire uh, with, with how they're going to get into the city and what they're going to do. 
And, uh, you know, he downplays the situation, says nothing can go wrong. And, uh, you know, I think sounds like, yeah, I mean, I think they're obviously nothing can go wrong. The crew looks like they're making camp uh, for a totally normal night where nothing goes wrong. So uh, why don't we just take a quick break and give you a chance to hear from our sponsors. This episode of Death Watch is also brought to you by Skull Squared Design Company. We're also huge fans of The Mandalorian, as well as Star Wars in general. And we wanted to share that love by making gifts for our fellow fans of Mando and the Child. Whether you wanted some flair while enjoying your favorite beverage in Oga's Cantina, or wanted to covertly show your support to the Resistance while exploring Batuu, we've got gifts for everybody. And not just Star Wars fans, but Marvel and Disney fans too. Check us out at SkullSquared.com or follow us on social media at SkullSquared. That's Skull with a C, as in, See y'all real soon! And we're back. And actually, everything did go wrong. <laughs> wow, what a shocker. <laughs> yeah. Um, almost like immediately after saying that sentence, almost getting cut off by saying that sentence, um, a swoop of pterodactyls <laughs> come in and uh, just start attacking the heck out of them. They look like um, uh, kind of like the things that are on uh, the Millennium Falcon when they're in the Empire Strikes Minox. Back inside the, the giant space slug. The Minox, Minox. yeah. Yeah, I think I think they're identified as something other than the Minox because the Minox yeah. have like sucker faces, like almost like a sucker fish kind of thing. Yeah, I think they said um, that these were the things on Dagobah. We see when again in the oh, same yeah. movie when Luke, they're like flying around the swamp mm-hmm. of Dagobah. Yeah, so, these are these are literal pterodactyls. Like in the in the Star Wars universe, sometimes they'll just sort of repurpose real animals to make them make them look different. Here, the yeah. source material is just. They took a literal pterodactyl and then just like, let's just re- unleash it on these people on this obvious, you know, yep. lava planet. So they're causing havoc. I mean, we have this one campfire, which is providing light for like a 10 foot radius. And they're flying mm-hmm. in out of the dark and they grab a blurg. They grab one of the guild members who came with Karga. Um, <laughs> Mando grabs a log out of the fire and... Uh, or no, he he did he torch it with his um, yeah he, he arm uses band. his yeah he uses his wrist torch yeah over. some of the other guys grab logs from the fire but <laughs> they um, blaster fires going everywhere and uh, once the dust settles we see grief Carger has been injured and um, I think it sounds like there's they're poisonous creatures so the mm-hmm. you know the injury itself was bad but Kara whips out the um, the COVID nineteen thermometer tester <laughs> and scans his his cut and sees that the infection is spreading. She quick and grabs, you know, a med pack from her KOTOR items <laughs> list. Anybody got, anybody else got med packs? But she realizes she only had one quantity in her, her bag. So she's asking around. No, no one else has them. She scans again and sees that the infection is still spreading. And, uh, it's pretty ominous pretty quickly. She's like, this is, he's not going to make it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, the child hops down from the pram, starts to walk over to him. Kara's like, get the kid out of here. And Quill's like, wait a second. And he starts to lay his hand on him. <laughs> Grief, I can't tell if this is like, if he's starting to go crazy, maybe from <laughs> I the think poison he, or something. I think he was trying to laugh through the pain. <laughs> okay. He's like, someone help me. He's trying to eat me. <laughs> he did make a comment before where he looks over and, and Quill's like feeding him a meat from the goat thing that they had found in the previous scene. 
Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, he's a carnivore. So now he, he, could, he could possibly be thinking now he wants, yep. he wants a bigger meal. So those of us who have played Star Wars video games, we, we sense that he's using the force heal technique. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've only been watching the movies, you you don't really know what he's doing. But there's an interesting little tidbit here. Yeah, so if you all saw this as it was released in its normal schedule, um, each episode was released typically on a Friday, which is, I think, what season two would also be doing, mm-hmm. except for this episode. This episode was aired on a Wednesday, two days prior to um, uh, Rise of Skywalker. And the reason being, I mean, on on the backside, I don't on the back end, I don't know if there was, a, you know, rushed production schedule or rushed uh, premiere schedule or whatever. Um, but if you recall from Rise of Skywalkers, there's that scene where Ray heals the space snake or whatever, whatever it was called, and, and she heals its scars. And, and then Kylo. Up. And then Kylo, and then, you know, and then they each go on their respective merry ways. But in the cinematic universe, we have never seen force healing on the big screen. So I feel like in order to prepare people and not to blindside them, they showed it in this scene with someone that is a little bit more relatable. Um, yeah. Most likely everybody was already watching The Mandalorian. So in, as opposed to just showing it up on the big screen, they introduced it in this scene. And then when the movie was released two days later, they would see an example of, of force healing. Yeah. It does open the, the possibility for future projects where, you know, if, let's say season four of The Mandalorian is out at the same time Kenobi is out and maybe we have another movie series that comes out if they're like playing off of each other. Because before this, we've only ever had like one new Star Wars project every three or four years. And so there's never been any kind of overlap of of current projects. So it could be cool to see stuff like that happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Especially if we get the like Ahsoka spinoff or you know any of the no, other. I'm looking for, I am totally looking for that. Yeah. All right. So the next morning, as the sun's coming up, it starts with a little bit of an awkward silence after everyone's kind of waking up and recovering from the overnight attack. And then, as they uh, stop by a cliff, grief kind of sighs, and then everyone pulls out their guns, and it's kind of this like. Uh, Standoff. Everyone's shooting at everyone else. Mando, that, or um, it was more like a it was more like a quick draw. You know, grief. He just like flips around and then just you know takes out those the two two guild hunters real quick before anyone else can can really act. Yeah, takes them out immediately. I mean, it's, we're not surprised, but apparently <laughs> the two bounty hunters were, and uh, grief kind of talks him through what his plan was initially was to mm-hmm. bring Mando here and and kill him and take the child back. But he has a change of heart and, and Mando proposes a counter plan. Mm-hmm. He's going to have, yeah, you can, you can describe it. Yeah. They're going to bring him in as the bounty instead. You know, they want to use the child as a bait, but then they start talking, you know, if the child's safety is that important, use Mando as the bait instead, let him face the repercussion. Child goes back with Quill. Right. And, and at this point, grief's like, but Kara, you can't come. Cause a shock trooper is is going to raise way too many red flags. She's like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm, mm-hmm. I'm coming with you. She's like, how about Mando proposes? How about you have her bring me in 
like she found me as the bounty and and she's bringing him in. So that's how they they get them, you know, positioned to come back into the city. Quill heads off with the child to go back to the Razor Crest, and um, yeah, I, kind of like to Ryan's point before about the tattoos. I'm like, yeah, she she covers her tattoo on her arm. She still clearly has a tattoo on her face. Yeah, hard to miss that one. Yeah, but whatever, you know, it's, it's logic. Yeah, so they get to the troopers at the gate. These guys clearly work for the TSA. <laughs> 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 you know, not very invested in their job, kind of hanging out and it's just like, all right, chain code, which, you know, we get another name check of the chain code here and we find out that chain codes come with QR codes. Mm-hmm. He grabs him his business card, scans it and um, and moves him along. There's like this hesitance to give it to them. I don't, I understand why Cara Dune doesn't want to give out her chain code. I don't quite understand why Grief Karga doesn't want well, to, give to, out to his make him seem more legitimate because he's grief. He's there. It's his place, practically. Right. So, but, but even still, he's kind of like hesitant to give mm-hmm. them his card, and I didn't quite understand that because he lives there. Like, there should be nothing mysterious about him being there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so they <laughs> get scanned in. They start to walk through. <laughs> they have this conversation. You know, grief has told them that there were only four stormtroopers. Which we knew when we saw the client last time, he was surrounded by four of them. And as they're walking through the town, there's like 50 of them. She's like, apparently, there's a stormtrooper convention that just happened to roll into town the yeah. moment that they decided to fly in. He's like, uh, well, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> He's like, there's four with him. Oh, yeah. oh, okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. clarifying that. Now yeah. that there's like hundreds of them surrounding us. Yeah, there's four in the room and four hundred outside the room. Oh, okay. Thank you. So they they roll up to the client and I guess he's got new digs because the last time we saw him, Mando blew up his his hideout. Um and is this even I can't tell, is this the the cantina where the bounty hunters guild was? I, I it seems kind it of looks familiar. like it. Because there's tables, there's obviously a bar, so it, it might be. That big, long, like, pill-shaped window, I think, mm-hmm. is the same one. I'd, I'd be surprised if it wasn't, to be honest. So they walk in, the client... Uh, Cantina architecture in, in in Star Wars is fairly limited, apparently. Yeah, there's one you know, guy the, who does all the, the cantinas. One interior, the one interior designer, just copy-paste guys. Yeah. Um, so... The client invites them in for some uh, some libations for their <laughs> the closing of their shared narratives, which I think is a I like that. It's a I'm I'm gonna use that next time we we sign a contract. It's a great so way to like you like to share a libation, break up with somebody of our shared narratives. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, yep. sorry, baby, we're gonna have to close the our shared narrative. <laughs> um, yeah. If you use that lot, if you use that line on on a person. You obviously do deserve to get dumped. Yeah, not not working out for you. Um, so, and we, we have this interesting, like, uh, kind of empire propaganda conversation. So, the client starts to talk about. Well, one he, he mentions we, we we get more information about the Mandalorian purge, which we've you know heard occasionally name checked in the covert from the armorer and others. He's like, why? Did, I don't understand why the why Mandalore resisted the expansion of the Empire. So we kind of find out that Mandalore was attacked and destroyed essentially 
because the empire was just trying to add it into the list of its um, systems and they had basically a, a resistance, a war against them and they were destroyed. I like that there's also kind of the the idea that in addition to going after all the Jedi, there was somebody going after all the Mandalorians they could find and as we have drove them into hiding. I mean, we saw that in Rebels in the series when they, during um, Sabine's arc, when she goes back home to try to, you know, oh, rescue right. her, her, her dad and, and ends up like the, either the man of uh, Mandalorians that were uh, sympathetic or sided with the empire, they stayed on Mandalore and those that weren't were sort of allowed to live on the moon remotely mm-hmm. and, and make their way. But like, there's like, it was desolate. I think Sabine said that Mandalore before was very, um, Oh no! I think there was their old ways. It was a very verdant planet, but then they warred against each other, and they had like nuclear weapons or something. So yeah, when they we, destroyed we, their planet. Yeah, but when we come back to Sabine and she goes to rescue her dad, uh, there's not much left, even after their own, you know, even after doing their own ways of uh, blowing their planet up, practically. Yeah. So he starts talking about, um, you know, like the imperial occupation of the galaxy being peaceful and even this is kind of a callback to the movies with Darth Vader talking to Luke about like let's join forces and together like we can rule the galaxy but I think even um, I forget if it's in Return of the Jedi or maybe it's in in Revenge of the Sith when he's talking to Padme but like um, Anakin always saw like his his distorted perspective on taking over the galaxy as bringing peace um, because like essentially like total control means peace. Like if there aren't warring factions, there's no mm-hmm. chaos, but if everyone is obedient to the one entity, there's peace and resistance is chaos. Not, um, and, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. There's a little Borg uh, mentality here. Um, and then he even actually says like the lines, like is the universe, is the universe more peaceful since the revolution um he almost goes full king george from hamilton on us because you know chaos and bloodshed are not i'm about to sing it but i won't chaos and bloodshed are not the solution he goes um starts talking about things like conflict and chaos and and things like that like just the more imperial uh propaganda well clearly the empire has sent a full battalion to remind them of their love yeah actually i literally wrote after that line in my notes that this like reminds me of early american history just after the colonies got independence but like everything was awful because they were in huge amounts of debt they had no organization they were totally spread out and everyone still was like had their own state identities similar to here in the galaxy where there's all these planets that are now not really well formed together, but have thrown off whatever else they had keeping them together. And it it was a lot of chaos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He talks about that. Then, then I, his only Werner Herzog can, can do this. He goes, he starts talking about death and chaos. And then immediately he goes, I would like to see the baby. Yeah. Yeah. And then grief with like the ultimate do nothing stall tactic is like, <laughs> uh, he's asleep. 
<laughs> and not having any of it, the client's like, all right, well then we'll be quiet. <laughs> we will all, we will all be quiet. Then he's saved by the proverbial hollow bell. Yeah. And I mean, I can say as a parent of a child, uh, when they are asleep, you do not want anything to threaten <laughs> them waking up. So I can totally get that as an, a valid excuse of like, he's asleep. Don't come near me. But, uh, He's ready to see him. And as he's about to, the trooper to his right leans in and tells him he's got a call. And uh, mm -hmm. he excuses himself to take a hollow, <laughs> saved by the hollow <laughs> bell. I like that. Um, that'd be a great spinoff, like a, an, a 90s themed <laughs> Star <laughs> Wars gonna, universe. Who's going to be Zach Morris in the Star Wars universe? I wonder. Oh, man. This would be a great bit for us to go through and re re recast Star Wars I feel, characters on I feel like by the Bell. Zach, Zach would be Anakin, like young Anakin. Totally. Screech has to be like a droid, some sort of like bumbling droid with an off balance personality. Caradine could be Slater. Yeah. Screech is. Oh, I like it. Caradune is Slater. <laughs> I, bu I buy that. Principal yeah. Belding is basically the emperor and he walks around <laughs> with just the hood but he still has like a suit and tie on oh man this we need to do a whole episode on this bit because it would be so fun <laughs> great great one okay so um on the phone is this small hologram dude dressed in a cape with some battle armor on and uh we are introduced to Moff Gideon and we know from prior Star Wars history that Moff is a title. I don't exactly remember what it necessarily means, but it's his name is not Moff. It's like, you know, General Gideon. It's it's some sort of term that refers to your rank and position. I could be mistaken. I think it's above Admiral. I think you're right. Because Grand Moff Tarkin was pretty much second or almost equal to Darth Vader uh, and definitely under the Emperor. Yeah, uh, so he's obviously not a grand moth. He's just a regular <laughs> moth. He's he's moth light. Moth just light. a regular moth. Just a regular moth. You know, that's a a great T-shirt. <laughs> I'm a regular moth. <laughs> just a just a regular moth. And the and, and the fact that they got um, Giancarlo Esposito to play him. Yeah, is, who's this guy? Never seen him before. Ever. Doesn't you seem mean, like he's been very successful. I think he was on Sesame Street. <laughs> that sounds like right. Company. Yeah, he's definitely like a child. He's, I think he was a stand-in on Blue's Clues. Yeah, he looks great. He, he looks like he would deal great with children. Yeah, Giancarlo Esposito is like the ultimate bad guy in a like non-fantasy type storyline. Most of you probably know he plays Gus Fring in the Breaking Bad series. He's, uh, you know, the ultimate chicken fast food chain owner slash meth drug lord and um he's yeah, really just like I totally see it yeah a lot of crossover in the fast food chicken franchise and, <laughs> and meth um but he is like he's just a bad guy and he's so like controlled and intentional and like there's no chinks in his armor he's just very collected he's an He's an imposing presence. Absolutely. And and so calm, but mm -hmm. calm in the way that's like, I can destroy you in a moment if I wanted to. Even that initial conversation that we, like that 
that like few seconds when he shows up on the hologram when he's talking to the client he goes do you have the baby he goes yes the baby is sleeping and then he goes you may want to check again yeah and then all heck breaks loose yeah um and i just i'll say this here real quick he is credited i mean so on his imdp page he's got 186 actor credits so he's been in a lot of projects over wow. the years um but with the mandalorian he's credited with 10 episodes the two from this season and eight from the next season so it seems pretty clear that he's going to be very involved in the series you know chris and i were talking about whether he his credits in each episode are him being a full-on presence or perhaps like grief cargo has been credited in in the last episode with his like uh hologram presence so he could be the but to be listed in eight episodes is going to make him very likely the big bad for mm -hmm. season two of the mandalorian i really hope uh we get some episodes from his point of view that might be like, interesting i would love to see like, that yeah I do hope that we don't get uh, a Snoke, a Snoke-like bad guy, <laughs> who's like super well built up and you know presented to us on a platter, and then the last Jedi does a terrible job of describing the character. Yeah, but then in Rise of the Skywalker, you realize he really is nothing. He's just this puppet that the Empire was Emperor was using to. That's fair. While he was building up strength. But uh, yeah, I don't see that from Moff Gideon at all. Like, I, he's going to be the bad guy. Yeah, he's just a clone of Grand Moff Tarkin, <laughs> <laughs> just with just with a little bit more melanin. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it, it does seem like he'll be around for several episodes to come. So it's a good introduction. And like you said, Chris, he on his hologram, he's like, you better check to make sure the baby's still there. And then immediately, the client is just shot right through the chest with a blaster bolt that comes through the window. You and can say he was fired. <laughs> Thank you. I'll see myself out. Don't yeah. forget to tip your waitress. This is Chris's last appearance on the podcast. Um, that's great. Yeah, and so he gets shot, and then the rest, everyone else who's in the room gets taken out. Mando and Kara flip over some tables and hide behind them. Same with Grief Karga, and they they find cover as the entire bar gets shot up and um, you know, they're, they are in trouble. So um, we go outside and uh, we see um, death troopers. all of these death troopers. Yeah. Which yeah. is the first time we've seen them since rogue one. Right. Yeah. Those were not good dudes. The moment you see the death troopers, you are officially in trouble. Yeah. And then there's even more bad news when a, convoy clown car shows up and then just more troopers just start spilling out of the woodwards i you i could swear there's like that trope where you have the soldiers showing up and you can hear like yeah into a grid formation like totally cool cool thing about the with uh with the troopers in this scene uh is they didn't have the budget to get all of these costumes and actors. So they just called up the local 501st oh, and oh, cool. had them and they didn't tell them what they were doing. They were like, Hey, we need these guys for this thing. And then they drove them to the set and started filming. This wow. is literally just, this is literally a, of, a dream come true for a lot of people. Uh, yeah. Like a ton of star Wars fans just, you know, 
unknown to them at what they were doing and were heading to the set to film. Oh man. Which is so cool. I'm going to have to look up where this was shot and see if we can get in touch with the local 501st. Cause that is a really cool story to hear. Like, yeah. Hey, what was it like when you showed up for a, a photo op and then you got taken to the set and immediately thrown into a star Wars project? That's, that's not, so cool. That's for those cool. of you who may not know what the 501st is, it's a, a worldwide organization of cosplayers who have made their own Star Wars uniforms, uh, particularly Stormtrooper uniforms, um, of all different varieties and customizations. But they do all kinds of events. You know, they get hired for parties and um, they do a lot of the conventions and things. But it's yeah. kind of like this own little like community of people who are passionate Star Wars fans and try to use that passion to, you know, make other people's lives better. They do a lot of like children's hospital visits and charity fundraisers and stuff too. Yeah. It's a great group. So if you're ever interested in joining the empire, just check out (laughs) the 501st. (laughs) And if you don't know what the 501st is like from star Wars lore, the 501st is the division of the clone troopers that were under Anakin Skywalker, right? Yeah, and then uh, they, yeah, I believe so. And then okay. they were, um, then they were uh, Vader's troopers Got once it. the crossover happens. Gotcha. Again, Ryan making a distinction between Anakin Skywalker <laughs> well, and thank you. Vader. Thank you, it's thank you for that. Man. They, you know, it's they're not the Republic anymore. They're the Empire. He still kept them. He still kept the five of first. That's a yeah. good point. He's like, and no, this is like, my favorite number. <laughs> I don't want to get confused. Yeah. And if you don't know what a stormtrooper is or what Star Wars is, please turn off this podcast right now and start watching some movies and reading some comic books. Dang it, Chris. You just lost half of our listenership. All three of them. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. thank you for listening, by the way, if you are listening to this podcast. If you're don't. still on, thank if you. If you're still on, thank you. Yeah. So um, the troopers are all lined up in kind of like a traditional parade format where they're all lined up you know like 12 rows deep and 20 troopers wide and we hear the familiar scream of a tie fighter coming in out of shot and then we zoom in on a tie fighter landing and we are introduced to this new type of tie fighter um it like it lands the the wings fold in half mm-hmm. um which is like incredible um, you you and, found something about that kind of tie fighter? Yeah, it's, it's called an Outland tie fighter. It's a, a new type of of ship that we haven't seen a new variant of tie fighter. I know that there's like seven or eight at least canon variants of the tie fighter, like the tie bomber, the interceptor, and and several others. So here's another to add to the list. Uh, but it has these folding wings, and we've seen a couple more of these tie fighters in the season two trailer as well. So uh, we know that maybe they're uh, more common than just this one like custom Moff Gideon TIE fighter and uh, Gideon lands and this really interesting like he lands the ship like practically on top of the legion of troopers he's within like feet of them and none of them like flinch they don't turn around to make sure like he's not going to crush them um, you would hope that this guy is a decent pilot. Like he's a, an amazing tactician. He knows how to command the troops. He's not really good behind the stick. 
That would be hilarious. Smush. He's got a reputation for smushing some stormtroopers. Yeah. So as he lands, the wings kind of fully flatten out. Some like landing feet come out of the main center pod, uh, and then out pops Moff Gideon in the flesh and walks through the crowd of troopers and then addresses Kara and Mando and Grief inside the bar. And um, he says, you may, you have something I want. And it cuts to Kara. It's just a great line. She's like, who's this guy? She's literally us right now. Like yeah. this guy, she literally drops out of the sky, turns to Mando and goes, who, who is this guy? That's exactly what we're all thinking. <laughs> yeah, really. It's such a cool entrance for, for like a villain too. Like it's all, it's like close to like Darth Vader's first yeah. appearance in a new hope where he just, you know, the door bursts open and there's this imposing dude. He like lands in the middle of a soldiers. None of them move. Mm-hmm. He just walks through them. So cool. Yeah. And he's got the classic Cape, which flows just like Vader. And even his, like his, his suit of armor is kind of Darth Vader esque um, mm-hmm. in it that it's it's like black. It has some like icons on it that look a little bit like Vader's ventilation system, and <laughs> it's uh yeah he's just a big and it it we get a few looks at him as he's getting out of the Tie Fighter and kind of from behind as he's walking through the crowd, and then it pans up from the dirt to like just get like a slow reveal of Giancarlo Esposito in the flesh in in full frontal so it's it's a cool shot you got something to say about the term full frontal chris nothing no we're good we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna move along <laughs> i love his i love his line of dialogue and um he says you may think you have some idea of what you were in possession of but you don't and it means more to me than you'll ever know like when i hear his voice i know that he was just introduced as moff gideon we know that he's a bad dude all i hear is gus fring yeah. That's very like this very tense moment, like all of a sudden now this dude is is in charge. Yeah. And but he's like immediately familiar. You you know him as if you've he's been around for a long time. It could even is like the way he starts to talk is almost mid conversation. Not like he doesn't introduce himself or anything, like he just begins to talk as I if they've been to talking be a before. For, for super villains. They have to have an amazing entrance. And they have to talk to you like they're the ones that are in charge. Yeah, I love it. Just start with, hello, I'm Moff Gideon. Hi, guys. <laughs> you guys Sorry have something I want. <laughs> hey, guys. I'd love to see Esposito with like a flamboyant, energetic, uh, like energy, like personality. Not not so like restrained and intense, but just like, what's up, guys? It's so good to see you. That'd be awesome. How's the baby? Yeah. So, um, speaking of the baby, uh, Mando is like, oh, shoot. He knows the baby's not here because he just shot up the bar and wouldn't have done that if this um, valuable person was in it and starts to yell over his communicator to Quill, like, you need to get back to the ship because you're in trouble. And I don't understand why they couldn't have waited until Quill got to the ship before coming into town. Like, mm-hmm. like there was no rush. There's no, like, it wasn't like you need to be here by 2 p.m. or like 
I don't, whatever happens. Like mm-hmm. they they rush to get into town, and Quill hasn't made it back. So now they're in a situation where Mando's like, they're going to come and get you. You need to get there. And they like, ugh, I I really this is where how it should have ended would need to change yes. this episode. And Thank like, you. Let's wait five more minutes before we go into town. And as these, he would have been protected by the, uh, what did he call it? The, like the ground protection protocol that ground, they, yeah. ground that protocol, the, protection yeah. protocols. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that, the razor crest I mean, has, we know why they have this. Will he, won't he make it kind of thing because it adds to the suspense and the cliffhanger. And then, you know, it does. it's like part of it, but again, space logic, man. Yeah, and so we cut back and forth. Though, so two stormtroopers take off on on their speeder bikes. They're racing across the lava flats. Quill is like clearly like getting the blurg to gallop as quickly as he can. He's holding the child in his hands. He hold you see him hold up a like a remote to open the cargo bay door, the Razor Crest, and then we cut back to Mando. He's like, Quill, did you make it? Quill, are you there? And then the next thing we see is the child on the ground. Stormtroopers swoop, like they swoop by in the bike, pick him up and cut to black. Not so going to lie. That's, that scene hurt. Uh, and like, particularly seeing it again, knowing what's happening. Like it's, I mean, it's in general, it's so stressful because you're like, yeah. he's almost there. They're coming way faster, but I mean, I, I was expecting the, the cargo bay door to open up and IG-11 to pop out. <laughs> that would have been another great thing to have happened. Um, but yeah, they, at least the baby is, is uh, the child is dropped. The stormtroopers pick it up and, and that's where we're leaving them. Yeah, so, and, then, and then Panda Quill, who unfortunately is, doesn't look like he's getting up. Yeah. Yeah, Which, you know, that, again, we know we've talked about on this show, dying in Star Wars doesn't necessarily mean you're dead, <laughs> um, particularly in a quick look and then a cut to black. Yeah. Um, but it's not looking good for Quill. Mm-mm. And then we cut to the credits. Um, the art here is cool. One thing I noticed in the art is it does seem like this was all done ahead of time, um, like as a blocking for the series itself, because the the representation of the characters that have been here before like even the what what quill looks like is not anything like what we've seen him to be now so i'm thinking if they did these as a commission at at each stage of the production that they would have done more of what he looked like um but again just just the storyboarding right but they're really again they're really cool imagery the music here sounds a little bit different to me it sounds like a bit more um like epic than some of the previous scores. Um, yeah, I noticed I the music in this episode just throughout. Kind of, there was they you know they had the typical you know fanfare that we've heard before, but then there were moments like when the child was healing grief, when grief is talking to the mom about revising the plan. It's like the music changed, so I, I wonder from a concept perspective they did that definitely to change tone. Like now things are as unexpected. What's about to happen is different than what we've been seeing so far in, in the show. Yeah. So that's the end of the episode. Uh, Ryan, I'd love to just kind of get your take on what this episode meant to you and, and in general what the series has been for you so far. I loved how this episode kind of had like we're getting the gang back together out of all, you know, we had some episodes that seemed like they were 
um, uh, on their own and you didn't need the rest of the show to really enjoy them. But he goes back and he's, you know, picking up these people that he's already met. And then it's like, all right, we're heading, we're going somewhere. Yeah. I love the, the getting the gang back together <laughs> aspect. Yeah. What I liked about it is that um, even though we went through a lot of different scenes and they were fairly quick in each and we had different conversations going on, mm. it didn't feel rushed. Yeah. You know, you, there was, it was definitely a good... Kind of like, like uh, the beginning to Rogue One where they like they hit like six planets in the first 15 minutes. That felt super rushed. This didn't have that same vibe, even though they were kind of planet hopping for the first few minutes. It mm-hmm. didn't, they felt like they took enough time at each location to yeah. do that. I also really appreciate that. Even though we know that this is episode seven and then, I mean, chapter seven, and there's going to be one more and there's a conclusion to that. Even though the conclusion is coming soon, we still have this deep sense of suspense mm-hmm. you know now that they the, the last thing we literally saw is they pick up the child and then that's it yeah so like what happens what happens next i really appreciate that yeah there's a lot of loose ends that have to get addressed to to come to a close here right so uh ryan what are you looking forward to in season two what are some of maybe your predictions or what do you th- um, where do you think the story's going i'm hoping to see a lot more moff gideon excited for that i like i like a good villain um, and I noticed uh, on the trailer they dropped the other day. It looks like uh, Horatio Sands Fishman might be back. <laughs> oh yeah! Can we take a minute to talk about that real quick? Like, what are some you know, like what's some things that you saw were maybe new compared to the other teaser or whatever that was introduced? Yeah, there was another desert planet shot, which um, you know we've seen a, a couple of them already on the show. It but it looked a bit more like <laughs> Jakku, and I hate to mm-hmm. try to like bring in a ton of other known planets just to do it but it looked like a different planet than we've been to so far well i think that that ice planet they go to i i i think is like ilum with the he's going there yeah. with the baby looking for you know the, they know that jedi have some kind of connection to that at this point the beginnings of the first order will have connections to that planet yeah, yeah. That's, that's right because if we don't if you don't remember first order in the Force Awakens takes over that planet. That's where they make Starkiller Base. And is Elam Starkiller Base? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I thought it was proven that it wasn't. No, they. I, 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 my understanding is that it was, and the reason being is Elam mm. um, had a huge natural supply of kyber crystals. Sure, which is what they powered the Death Star. Which they figured, well, instead of building a shell around kyber crystals why don't we just build a base on top of a natural source of kyber crystals and that's how they made mm. the weapon the way it was but the super weapon for star killer base isn't a, a kyber laser right isn't it the planet like it's the sun because it, it like absorbs the power of the nearby star and then turns that into the projectile weapon right I know we are so far off course at this point in the conversation, <laughs> but um, anyway, that's a, could be that's a conversation, conversation and maybe, for another day. Yeah, maybe Elam gets destroyed 20 years from now, so it'd be nice to check in on it one more time. <laughs> before before it gets blown up. Yep. Uh, what else are you looking forward to in season two, Ryan? Are you a big Ahsoka fan? I do. I do like Ahsoka. I'd like to see what Tamara Morrison's up to. Yeah. Same. Whoever he may be playing. It may or may not be Boba Fett, but we know who knows. I mean, yeah. it'd be cool to see him be Rex. Yeah, I was saying it could be Rex or Rex. Yeah, 
because um, and we know Rex hangs out with Ahsoka from the Rebels series, so it would make... We haven't really talked about that option so far, but I guess he could be playing Rex as the companion of Ahsoka. I mean, he was confirmed to be uh, that old bearded dude in Return of the Jedi on Endor. They sort of pin, you know, connected the dots like, yeah, that's actually Rex serving, you know, with the rebellion. Yeah. Yep. I do I do wonder though what the like lifespan of a clone is and if he could I guess if we if he was alive five years earlier at Endor, he could still theoretically be around now. Yeah, as long as he stays out of trouble. Well, yep. that's it for this episode. Thank you all for joining us. If you like this episode, please subscribe, share, and write a review on Apple Podcasts. And Mike and I, we can't express how much that would mean to us as it actually improves our show ranking and helps other people find the show. Please follow us on Instagram at Death Watch Podcast, Twitter at Death Watch Cast, and on the Magic Mail app. If you have any questions about or omissions we, we forgot, suggestions for upcoming episodes, you can email us at deathwatchpodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to feature it on a future episode. We also have some merch out there. As, you've, as you know, our, our coffee mug is out there and some t-shirts are on the way. You can check those out at linktree slash deathwatch. That's linktr.ee slash deathwatch. We also really want to thank Ryan for helping us out with this episode. Uh, so thanks, Ryan. What? How is it that people can find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at, on, at honorary underscore Android. And I also have another profile at Magnetic Flux Co. Both of my artwork and things you can buy. <laughs> I'm actually, I've, I've already purchased some of your stuff. Like he's got a great Sabine shirt. If you're a fan of the uh, Untitled Goose game like I am, <laughs> I've got also a, a Disney Goose crossover shirt too so uh check out his merch it's really cool thank you for that too i think you made that go viral so (laughs) (laughs) it was my all my pleasure man so thank you all for listening this is the way this is the way this is the way this is the way